Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to a special Monday edition of the Over the Cap podcast. It's September 12, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, or you can find me hanging around uh, overthecap.com every now and then doing some posts on there, along with our contract updates. Uh, as is typical, I am joined by Nelly the Bunny. Nelly, usually you don't have anything. You have anything now. No, Nelly's got nothing once again. Uh, so we're going to do a, a quicker one today, uh, I think. We're, we're going to do the podcast since it's a Monday night. Uh, I won't do the Q&A. Um, just kind of want to talk about the games a little bit. I was going to do a podcast Saturday night. By the time we got done with the kids' football games and stuff, it was just getting a little too late. I said, all right, you know what, I'll do it Sunday morning. Sun wasn't feeling well, and the next thing you know, you get closer and closer to the football games, and it's like, you know what, why don't we just wait until after the football games, I'll see if I can sneak something in, and talk a little bit about the games, and then we'll get into talking about Lamar Jackson's contract after that. Uh, That was really the big news. Obviously, there's a couple other contracts that came down. You know, teams go right to the wire, right until that Saturday at 4 p.m. is basically the deadline. You try to get contracts done. You may see one or two jump in this week. Uh, but, you know, we saw Darren Waller get an extension that nothing really great. It's a big on paper number. Realistically, what they did is they gave him about a up to about a $10 million raise for the next two years um, that they, they are guaranteeing a portion of it. Uh, you know, they're guaranteeing an extra, I think it's seven five is the, probably the guarantee on that. Uh, Quilt Nelson gets the, the big deal from Indianapolis. That was no surprise. We've been saying all along he was just going to be the first $20 million a year guard, and it's a real straightforward contract. Um, I'd say very clearly builds on the uh, Ryan Ramchek deal. It has no bearing. Uh, I shouldn't say it has no bearing on the guard market. The structure of that contract I don't think was built off of anything that you saw with the high-end guard contracts. It's just way above it. So my assumption is that they looked at the other positions that have jumped up and said, all right, how do we kind of build off that framework? How do we um, maneuver this contract around that? And, you know, that, that was the other big one that came down. And then you had the Lamar Jackson deal not getting done. So I'll talk about that one more um, afterwards. But I think first I'll talk about the games for a little bit. You know, it's always exciting to have the um, season kick off. And, you know, Thursday, it's Thursday is always fun. Um you know, for that first game. Th- Thursday football in general is kind of like a bore for me. I-, I don't get too into the Thursday games. Usually, I don't think they're that good. But for the first week of the season, I, I do kind of like them. And the Bills were all over the Rams in that game. Just two total different classes of teams that seemed like they were on the field. Uh, Rams just did not look as if they were prepared, whereas the Bills looked like they were very, very focused based on how last season ended. And they just came out and just blew them out of the water um so you know you, you don't send the the panic signal if you're the rams but that that was about as bad of an opener as there's been from like a defending super bowl champ uh usually there, there's a lot more fight in those teams uh then you get to sunday and that that's really when the the real season kicks off and of course where am i going to start i'm gonna start with my jets who stunk up the field once again um you know, it's, it's just the same same stuff over and over and over and over again. And, you know, I said this on Twitter. I said, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a game. And you always say this about the first week of the season. We always overreact to one game. But it would be nice if just once in a blue moon, the Jets could flip that script on that one game. Because it hasn't happened. I've wa- it's Groundhog Day. I watched this same game over and over and over every single time the Jets start the season. The exception was Darnold's rookie year. I think it was his rookie year where they came out and they just blew up the Detroit Lions. Wiped them out. Said, wow, you know, maybe maybe they got something here. Obviously, that was just a a cruel joke on everyone else because uh, as far as Sam Darnold highlights go, that was about it. You had that and a half against Dallas and that was about it for his highlight reel. Um, this was just a mess for the Jets. It was just a, a depressing game to watch because it's the same garbage that you see every year. They come out offensively and they just look like they don't belong in the NFL. I, I get it. They, they lost their tackles, but, you know, Becton is a walking Band-Aid, so you knew he wasn't going to last. And then you go out, and there is no problem with signing Dwayne Brown. 
All right, now, I don't know how well, I don't even know how many times he practiced before he got hurt. I have no idea how, how well the Jets medical actually did checking him out because, you know, they, they weird medical stuff seems to happen with the Jets. Um, but you're giving a guy $10 million who doesn't play, uh, not, I shouldn't say he doesn't play. Um, you know, he was sitting there as a free agent in late August. You're giving him 10 million bucks? You know, Dallas is signing Jason Peters to the practice squad. You know, there's serviceable players you can get for a million dollars. There was no, there have been no players that have signed a contract that big or street free agents that late in the season, number one, and especially at that age. You're not getting deals that big that late in the season. So anyway, you know, okay, that's a problem, but you know, you, you've got your first rounder at guard. You've got your expensive player at the other guard position. You know, you've got Fant, who was your left tackle last year, and I know you're bouncing him around like a pinball for God knows what reason. He looked terrible. But you've got him, so you've got three guys that you believe strongly in on there. You got a center who, you know, whatever. I guess he's okay. And he had a right tackle that was always going to be suspect in this game. And they looked awful. As a unit, they just looked terrible. Flacco. Get him off the field. There's no energy at all. You know, when you bring in these older veteran quarterbacks and you don't really have like a veteran football team, it becomes a lot more difficult when the quarterbacks don't fire right away. You know, it's a different story if you have a veteran football team. Um, you know, if you have veterans on the team... They, they understand some of the stuff that comes with it, maybe the more business-like attitude or whatever, but you need energy. You know, you bring in a younger guy because he brings energy to the team. Doesn't mean he's going to be better. He might be even worse. But you couldn't get a worse result. You know, you lost. You got blown away. You know, defensively, I hear people talking about how they played and they had a lot of dog in them. You know, they had a lot of fight. It was the same exact thing that they did last year. The defense came out with some energy. And I, I think the credit to that probably goes to C.J. Mosley. Uh, I think he's a, you know, pretty good leader on the team. Um, I, I think he comes out with that attitude because he's one of the few guys that comes from a winning organization. And, you know, he, he's going out there and trying to earn his paycheck. And I, I think they kind of feed off that. And then as the game goes on and the offense goes nowhere, you just see them kind of, that energy level declines. And they don't have the talent to get by with a declining energy level because they'll get picked apart. And that was really what happened. The, the Ravens were very cautious early. They took a big chance. They started to take more chances. Uh, I'm going to say it was late in the second quarter where Jackson had Bateman open. I think it was Bateman. And I don't know why. He just pulled up on the play. It was weird. Like, I, I don't know if he would have gotten to the ball, but it was like he gave it no effort at all. Uh, he ended up having some uh, bigger play or two later on. Uh, but then they, they just decided, okay, we'll go vertical because the Jets can't cover vertical. And they exposed the Jets' safeties, whether it was miscommunications, whether it was lack of athletic ability, whatever it was, they completely exposed the safeties. Um, the guys just didn't look like they were on the same page. And, you know, they, they just beat them with a couple of big plays. And I don't want to hear about, well, they got some lucky pass interference calls. I mean, they were blatant pass interference calls. They were calls where the guy was just going to blow right by him down the field. And you had, like, LaMarcus Joyner running into somebody. You know, that, that that's interference. That's not a, a iffy call. You know, was it maybe it was bad luck on his part. I don't know. But the, the other story is more the offense. The offense went out there. How do you go out there in front of your home crowd and play with zero energy? You look at the Bears. The Bears who have no talent at all on the field. Or you look at the Lions who have limited talent maybe on the field. And they go out there and they're playing like it's their Super Bowl. And you go out there looking like you're afraid. And then you have the head coach... Come out and say, oh, we lost this game. You know, the mistakes. I believe in Z, Greg Zerlein. But, you know, he missed some kicks. You didn't lose because you missed a field goal and you lost momentum. 
you were down 20-something points, and you, you're calling a game that's a 16-play drive, taking off five and a half minutes, dinking and dunking your way down the field because you're desperate not to win a game. You're desperate to get a touchdown because you don't want to go and just finish the season or start the season with just three points on the board. 16 plays. What, what are you thinking? Is that on the quarterback? Is that on the coordinator? I have no idea. you got to take some shots down the field. I don't care what the other team is doing. It's your only way you're going to win. You know, you've got these receivers you believe in. Just put them out there and let them try and do something. It, it was just, it was pathetic. And, you know, the, the today, Sal was out there saying he's taking receipts. Look, I, I hope the Jets have a good season. You can't do that. You're going to get fired. You, you're going to take, you, you're only 18 games into your career as a head coach of the Jets. And you are going to get run out of town. As if you're Rich Kotite. You, you have to have some empathy for what's gone on here. The Jets haven't played a meaningful game since 2015. They haven't made the playoffs since 2010. You know this. You, you have to know something of the history of the organization. You can't go out there and say, well, I'm taking receipts on these guys who are not believing in us. Just... Do your job. You know, what, what are you taking receipts on? You, do you know what meaningful Jets football is in December? This goes to him. This goes to Joe Douglas. This goes to whomever. Meaningful football for the Jets in December is hoping that your team loses so they fire the head coach. That's meaningful football in December. Meaningful football in December for the Jets is hoping the Jets lose so you get a higher draft pick and maybe you can choose somebody who's decent to play quarterback for the team. That's Jets football. That's this brand of football. So don't go out there and say, oh, I'm taking receipts on everybody that doesn't believe in the New York Jets. It is what it is. Go out there and say you stunk. Go out there and say you weren't ready. You know, the, the fans will like that better if you go out and say that. Jets need a win this week in the worst possible way. You know, they're going to go in as underdogs against Cleveland. I think you, get, you can probably at least match up with them. So I, I'm not going to say that's impossible. But they need a win because it, it has to change. You, you, you can't go out there and just keep losing and losing and losing and rely on this nonsense of lies. We're a young football team. You're not the youngest football team in the NFL. You're nowhere near it. Middle of the pack. We're building the right way. You got the most unrestricted free agents in the NFL on your football team. Don't give me any of that nonsense. Go out there and go out there and find a way to compete. Everybody's going to turn on him. Look, I, I, Joe Douglas has gotten the miracle pass. You know, I, I had to listen during the game to one of the announcers say, well, you know, he's had these great drafts, and now they just have to show it on the field. What great drafts? Tell me, what's great on that 2020 draft? The guy who's always on IR? The guy who's inactive? Like, who, who's great from that draft? The guy who gets burned for a long touchdown? I think he was drafted in that one, right? Who was good from last year's draft? Your guard? Yeah, the, the running back who you, you drafted someone else this year to, to split carries with him. And Carter was one of the few guys on offense who showed energy, at least early. You know, what's great from this draft? Nobody knows. If you want to say the Jets have done a great job at amassing draft capital, yes, the Jets have done a great job at amassing draft capital. If you believe strongly that almost all of your talent in the NFL comes from the first round of the draft, the Jets have done a tremendous job of moving into that first round or as close to that first round as possible to get more draft picks. 
you know, to, to try to fill out this team to, to combine it with all these uh, free agents that they've brought in. Absolutely true. Do not tell me that they're great drafts. Do not tell me that they are great players. It's no different than the guy before. And I, I got to read posts on Twitter saying, oh, it's not JD's fault. He's got to clean up that mess from McCagnin. McCagnin hasn't been general manager for like four years now. Three and a half, four years. I know it's that weird, that weird year where you've kind of got the in-between. This isn't Mike McCagnin's team. This isn't Mike McCagnin's salary cap mess anymore. This isn't Mike McCagnin's crappy draft picks anymore. This is Joe Douglas's football team. Oh, it's not his fault. It's it's just awful. And if they come out there next week and, and they play with this same energy, fire them all now. Yeah, that, That's what I would say to that. So they, they need to come out. They need a big win next week. Um, I don't know if they can do it. Uh, I'm not going to discount it. But, you know, they, they, they need to win. They, they cannot go through this season starting the year 0-4, 0-5, and then bringing back Zach Wilson as if he's going to be a savior. They can't do that. You, you've got to be more competitive. Now, again, it's a game. It's just that I've seen this game from many years for the Jets. And there's nothing on paper that tells me the Jets are a much better football team. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But it is just so disappointing. And then it's disappointing to have to hear all the excuses that go on over and over and over again. Just terrible. All right, let's see. What else was there around the league? So I'll run through these. Most of these I saw highlights on. The later games I watched more of. Uh, Carolina lost to Cleveland, kind of a last-minute thing. Uh, Carolina pulled ahead. Uh, Cleveland came down, and they hit a field goal uh, late in the game. It was kind of a weird one. doesn't sound like either team really played very well. Uh, the Colts and the Texans, just an embarrassment to football. Um, talk about a gutless job by all everybody there. So the Texans have this game won. They let the Colts come roaring back. They tie up the game. And... You go into overtime, and they're punting the ball. With, like, no time on the clock, they're punting the ball. And then the Colts, I get it. it it's a million-to-one shot on that last play. It was like a nothing, because they didn't want to have the chance of turning the ball over on that play and having the other team run it in. It, it was pathetic, both of those teams. Uh, Jacksonville and Washington. Washington, from the sounds of it, looked pretty impressive. Wentz, I think, looked decent. Uh, they got some nice performances out of the receivers. Jaguars sounded like it was a lot of the same. It sounded like Lawrence was a little bit better. I watched him throw a bad pick, um, but I didn't see enough of that game to say if you know he looked a lot worse. Um, or, I mean, a lot better than he did last year. The only thing I'll say is on a couple of the plays, even on the play, one of the plays that I saw where he threw that interception, it was a better pocket awareness than last year. Last year there was tons and tons and tons of backpedaling and wacky stuff and um, you know, so I guess you wait and see there. Uh, Miami, they beat New England 20-7. to uh, I don't think this was a great showing probably for the Dolphins' offense. Dolphins' defense played pretty well. Patriots, a uh, lot, of, lot of people worried about them in the preseason. And one game in, all those worries came true. And, you know, it was just a, not a good start for them either. Um, you know, there are going to be a lot of people starting to question Belichick if they don't uh, really get this this one straightened out. Because there's a lot of people worried about this team. They, they did not add a lot this offseason. Uh, you know, all their additions came the year before. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of tough to, to go back to the well with the same exact team when that team wasn't, you know, that good last year. You know, they're, they're a decent team, but, uh, you know, they're not a world beater. Uh, New Orleans beats Atlanta. This was a exciting finish. I didn't see enough of the game to really comment on it. The only thing I saw was Atlanta had the game probably won. They have a fourth down, and they gave the ball back to the Saints. And I don't really know why they did that, but they did that one. Uh, watched a little bit of Philadelphia and Detroit. Um, Philadelphia's offense looked really good from the little bits and pieces I saw. Their defense looked equally as bad. From little bits and pieces I saw, so uh, that might be the way that Philadelphia goes. 
But, uh, you know, they're, they're probably going to be the class of the NFC East. It's just a question of whether they're complete enough to compete with some of the other teams in the NFC this year. Pittsburgh-Cincinnati was just a comedy. It was just missed field goal, missed field goal, missed field goal. Neither team deserved to win this game. Neither team even deserved to tie. They both deserved to lose. That's how bad this was. Cincinnati turned the ball over a bazillion times, and Pittsburgh scored like 17 points off those bazillion turnovers. It was just atrocious. Um you know, from whatever was there. San Francisco, Chicago, that was just played in the muck. Um, that that was a game that probably should have never been played. That's how crazy that field was. You know, once in a while, it, it's fun to watch. It was a disaster for San Francisco. It's a really bad loss for them. I would imagine a lot of people lost in the knockout pools uh, with that one. Trey Lance, I didn't see enough. All I can read online is just people saying he didn't look that good. Uh, again, it was definitely not ideal conditions for him to come out and play in. But you are going to have a quarterback controversy until he either plays decent or the team starts winning because it, you just can't have a quarterback who was there the year before when you're going deep into the playoffs and have him sitting on the bench. And when you're losing to a team that many thought was the worst team in the NFL in week one and you're only scoring 10 points, um, it's going to look really bad on you, e- even in those kind of conditions. So, anyway, I said the Jets need a win next week. San Francisco needs a win in the worst the worst way next week, too. I think, do they play Seattle? Um, let me see. If they, you know, I don't have the games up. I, I, I'm going to, I think they might play Seattle. But, um, yeah, they, they need a win next week in the worst way. Green Bay just phoned it in. It was the Aaron Rodgers beginning of the year. It's not starting out good, so I'm just going to kind of give up performance. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be questions on that receiving core all year long. He had one of the rookie, I think it was, open on a big play. A kid dropped the ball, went right through his hands. You saw that look on Roger's face, and I think from that point forward, it was just like, whatever. You know, I'm going out here with, uh, you know, my buddy Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins and whoever, and... Uh, Minnesota's all over us from the start, and I'm just going to phone it in. Rodgers has games like that every now and then, so I'm not sounding the panic alarm there yet either, and I'm sure a lot of people are talking about the the way they opened last season, which was they, they just got completely dusted by the Saints in the first week. Doesn't mean the same stuff is going to happen this year. It's just that you believe in Rodgers, um, so... You know that that's the that's the one difference. A uh, good on Minnesota, they came out and they really just um, they exploded. They they seemed to, you know, with that crowd there, they, they really went and uh, kind of took it to Green Bay. And I think that just got in Rogers' head right away. It seemed as if in the second half they were just content to play with the lead. Uh, and as it turned out, that that was perfectly fine for them. They certainly didn't go for the kill. Um, so people were expecting that that didn't happen, but. You know, they, they, they got that lead. They stuck with it. And once Green Bay couldn't, you know, get back in the game, that was pretty much it. Kansas City all over Arizona. Uh, so for one week, the Kansas City decisions of getting rid of Tyreek Hill and bringing in, you know, a couple cheaper but not dirt cheap receivers to kind of fill the void. Uh, they were out there and all over Arizona. Arizona, who did the most bizarre coach and general manager extensions in the offseason, this is a team that stunk at the end of last year. And I'm not talking about stinking for like two or three games. I'm talking about stinking for half the season. You know, I, I looked at them midway through this game. Uh, they were down like 37-7 maybe at the time. And in the last 10 games, including that half or whatever it was, three quarters of the game, they had been outscored 28.2 to 19 was the average um, in their last 10 games. I think they had won two of those games. So, I mean, they are, they've been getting blown away for half a season in the NFL. And because of their salary cap and the decisions they've made with that roster, you know, they're an old team. They're the only team in the league that did not sign one new player who earns at least $2 million a year. So they, they made the trade, okay? They, they made the trade for Brown. But everybody else is just back. Not one player over $2 million. It's all bottom-of-the-barrel type players to fill out the roster. If you were a team that basically finished the year 
like one of the worst teams in the NFL. How do you evaluate your roster in the offseason and say, yeah, we'll just run it back. We, we don't need any changes. What? Huh? <laughs> like, what logic is there in that? And uh, for the first game, it certainly showed. They got waxed. Uh, yeah, the Chargers and the Raiders. And I watched a lot of this one. The Chargers really outclassed the Raiders, but the, the game was much closer than it needed to be. Maybe this is just Chargers football, what are they called, bolting up or whatever it is. The Chargers will do anything to find ways to lose football games. And this had the makings, I think, of one of those games. You know, it was like they they should have been up by like two or three scores. And, you know, it, it's coming down to the wire. And, you know, Carr had a couple of plays in there that were good, a couple of plays that were really bad. And I think that's going to be the story of Carr. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine that the Raiders are really going to be able to, uh, you know, compete in that division. But, you know, that's why you play the games and you wait and see. Um, you have the Giants in Tennessee. And, you know what, good for the New York Giants. That was a team that could have just fallen apart and they would have. They didn't come out looking, you know, incredible at the beginning of that game. They're down thirteen uh, nothing, I think it was. And you know, unlike the New York counterparts, uh, the Jets, you know, they went out there and they they tried. And you know, you feel good for Saquon Barkley, who was running the ball so well. He's doing those big plays, taking hits. And you know, even though we say running backs don't matter, and they don't, you know, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things. You don't wish guys to do poorly. You're just saying that they're kind of replaceable. Um, you know, this is a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries and obviously a lot of doubters. Um, so, you know, good for him. You know, Shepard had that big catch, too. You know, coming off those injuries, you know, it's nice to see. Um, Daniel Jones threw a bad interception, but they still, you know, still were fighting, fighting, fighting. And they come back. And they can play for the tie, and the coach says, let's try and win it. I thought it was the right thing. I said it before that, that I thought they should just go for two, give it a shot, and then see if your defense can close the game out. And that was what they did. Um, they got the two-point conversion. Now, a lot of people were against that because there was about a minute, minute, 10 seconds left. The Titans, I think, yeah, Titans had a timeout. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, it's enough time to go down there and score three. And... You know, I, I understand the concept. The concept is that you are inviting a team to be aggressive because now they're going to lose. So they have nothing to lose by playing to win. Whereas if you're in a tie, teams sometimes lay down. And the Titans are a team that I know in the past has laid down. They're more than content to play for overtime. My only issue with that, and I'm not saying that, you know, the, very well that what the Titans may have done, that's probably what they would have done. At some point in time, you are going to come across teams that realize there's not that big of a downside risk with a minute left to try to score. You know, there just isn't. And you're going to see teams be more aggressive because you should be more aggressive. Because of the same way that the Giants' best chance to win was probably to convert to and then try to stop the Titans' offense. Um, you know, that was probably a better chance than, you know, just playing for overtime. And the Titans' best chance to win if that game was tied 20-20 was to take your chance with that minute left at getting a field goal and then playing in overtime if you don't get it. You know, and if you do throw the interception or whatever, well, you know, you, it happens. But you might have lost anyway. So I, I think teams should just be aggressive anyway instead of, you know, playing for that overtime period and playing soft. Uh, the Titans bungled the end of that game badly. They, um, for whatever reason, I have no idea, they uh, had to call a timeout. They, they, they screwed up, um, you know, they, they blew the timeout off a, off a play. So now they have to basically um, clock a ball, which puts them back further. And then he shanks the kick. I don't think those couple of yards made a difference, but that was, uh, that was, pretty, that was pretty bad. Um, that was just a really bad coaching job uh, at the end there. Just total lack of awareness by everyone in Tennessee. Uh, Tampa Bay just 
beat up on Dallas. Dallas looked terrible. Um, Dallas, I, I think we need to do an uh, episode one of these days focusing on Dallas. And Dallas just, I don't know. You know, it, it's like, it's it's such a weird thing. They, they used to manage themselves so different years ago. And it didn't work. And they moved away from that. And now they've gotten to this period where they just don't really try to do anything with free agency or, you know, anything really. Keeping some of your own players. It's like everything becomes a struggle except for certain positions and you're willing to, or certain players, and you're willing to overpay them. You know, your linebacker, your running back. And then it puts you in these salary cap holes to where then you start to look at it and go, well, you know, maybe we would sign a free agent, but, you know, then we'd have to restructure Elliott. We can't do that. So you're basically carrying dead money on your roster every year in these players because you don't want to restructure them. It's very different than what goes on in Philadelphia. Um, And maybe Philadelphia will get to that point because Philadelphia probably does restructure some of the older guys too much. Um, you know, same thing with New Orleans, but for the most part, you're restructuring guys who are, you know, players who are going to last. It's only been a handful of players where you've restructured them and you're only holding on to them because of those restructures. You know, and Alshon Jeffrey would have fallen into that category in Philadelphia. But, you know, it, it, because of that, it doesn't dictate everything you do because you have flexibility with the players because you feel like they can keep performing in Dallas. You don't have that. And it's like your decision is, well, we can keep Amari Cooper for one more year, but if we did that, well, you know, we would definitely have to, to push the, the push the money on Elliott. And you can't do that. You know, especially when you look at where they, they are with the cap next year with uh, Prescott's huge cap hit, you can't do it. So you end up having a team with a $40 million quarterback and... You know, you, you have the first round pick in Lamb, and then you've got some tight ends, and you know, your number two receiver is Noah Brown. You know, and yeah, you're going to have Michael Gallup at some point, but I mean, he's a player that you only kept because he was coming off injury and a couple of down seasons that made him cheap, you know, relative to, to what other receivers were getting. So yeah, that you have other teams that are trading away their, their star players, you know, their star receivers. But they are replacing them in many cases with at least a couple capable guys. You know, Dallas doesn't really seem to be doing that. Now Prescott's hurt again. And you just look at the injuries mounting and you just wonder, is this going to be a wheels-off season now for Dallas? Where you just go through the motions and you win five or six games. I mean, I don't even know who their quarterback is going to be. But, you know, you, you, you look at the players there and, you know, Jerry's going to be calling down and just saying, run it with Zeke, run it with Zeke, run it with Zeke. And, you know, it, it's going to be a mess. Um, so that was it for the games. You know, tonight we've got uh, Seattle-Denver. And, you know, we'll see how, uh, how that one plays out. Um, you know, Seattle's going to be all over Russell Wilson. Um, Seattle has done a very interesting kind of smear campaign against him. It, it's so odd. You know, there were some stories that came out the other week. It just seems like really bad feelings there. I don't really understand it, um, but it sounds like there are really bad feelings there. And they definitely, I think, have painted a picture in Seattle that he wanted out. He wasn't happy, and he wasn't going to be happy with any kind of contract offers if they try to keep him beyond this deal. So they were kind of forced to move him. And I think they've done a good, good job in doing the smear campaign. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, eventually, you know, time heals all wounds, right? You know, he'll, he'll come back to a hero's welcome at some point in time, but, uh, I doubt that will be today. So the big news of the week, uh, was Lamar Jackson turned down whatever the Ravens final contract offer was. Uh, Chris Mortensen had some details on it and, you know, it sounded a lot like some of the stuff that I put on, um, on OTC this week in a post where I just shared some thoughts on that contract, and I'll probably reiterate some of it, but 
It sounds like they were willing to make him the highest paid quarterback, uh, not named Rodgers. So it sounded like it was about a $48.5 million a year deal, longer term. And that's one of the trade-offs. If you're going to get that high annual value, they're going to require longer years. Uh, in return, they were also going to give the biggest full, uh, full guarantee. Uh, I think it was $133 million is what was reported. Um, total guarantee was much higher. I'm sure this had those running guarantees that you see in the Mahomes contract and the Allen contract where, you know, if any point you're cut, other than like the last year or two, um, you know, your average value probably jumps to something like 55. Their deals would be at 50. So I would guess this one would have been like around 55. I would imagine it had a lot of money up front because that is what the Ravens typically offer. Um, but he's dug in on a couple of different things and they, they couldn't come to an agreement. And I think that's perfectly fine. Um, the only thing I did not like was in, if you read Mortensen's tweets, um, there was a mention in there that, you know, he was getting advised by the union at the highest levels. And uh, I understand they have a, a big vested interest in this, that, you know, at every turn, it's been a flub with getting fully guaranteed contracts. I've talked about this before. You're never going to get fully guaranteed contracts, but whatever. Um, you know, that, that is what it is. Um, the gist of it is they said to him, you know, given your production and your age, you are right to seek a fully guaranteed contract if that's what you want. So uh, I'm going to guess the question was, is it unreasonable to ask for? And they were saying no. The thing is, you don't want your player to be a sacrificial lamb. That's the only thing that I, I will say about this, because they should know from their experience that the teams are not just going to give fully guaranteed contracts to the players. They're not going to do it. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a big uphill battle. You know, you can get there, and the way that you get there is by going through the franchise tag. Now, the thing is, they told him, which is correct, we have it on the site, that they anticipate if he plays out the franchise tags that he would earn a hundred million dollars in um, 2023 and 2024, and then the Ravens would give him a fully guaranteed deal because the the number spikes so high in um, 2025, then he would get that fully guaranteed deal. I'm not a hundred percent sure, yes or no, on that that aspect of it if that would happen, but it is true that. Right now, that would be the projection. And certainly, if you do get to that third tag, you have a good shot at getting the fully guaranteed deal. And if you get beyond the third tag, you're going to get it because you're a quarterback. Um, you know, provided that you're still an effective player and everything else. But that $100 million is also contingent on a lot of other things that happen in the NFL. So th what they're talking about there is using the exclusive franchise tag on the quarterback. Now... That is absolutely what the Ravens will use because if you use the regular franchise tag, which is going to cost you know, $31, $32 million next year, he gets the ability to shop himself in free agency. Another team will sign him. They'll fully guarantee a deal because he's a free agent and they'll, they'll craft an offer sheet that they probably can't match. They'll do something that would be so crazy against their salary cap you know, that they won't be able to match it. That, that's probably what will go on. And, um, you know, so the only thing that would happen here is you'd use the exclusive tag because the exclusive tag blocks him from free agency. And even if they didn't want to keep, like, even if the relationship got so bad that he's like, I don't want to play here anymore, the way they would maximize their trade compensation is having him on the exclusive tag because they can ask for whatever they want. You know, they, they can ask for three first-round picks, four first-round picks if you do it on the day of the draft, plus a whole bunch of other stuff. So, I mean, they, they can get whatever they want. So you're going to get the exclusive tag. But the exclusive tag is based on the top five cap charges, basically the top five cap charges, next year. Um, and those numbers can fluctuate. And everyone's like, well, salaries always go up. Salaries always go up, but cap charges go down. And basically what happens is the cap charges are set as soon as the Ravens apply the franchise tag to them. Um, you know, they, I'm sorry, they can't go down. They're not set. If, if somebody else signs for higher, um, you know, 
they can increase, but there's no quarterbacks next year that look like they're up for any kind of meaningful contract extension, um, you know, that would do that. You know, because they have to be, it's the, the end of the uh, RFA period. So basically around the draft time, um, or mid-April, I guess is when that is, um, you know, the, the numbers are set in stone. But the numbers, if the numbers go down before he's tendered, the lower numbers count. So right now, the $45 million cap charge for next year, the $45 million salary that he would get, is based on Deshaun Watson at a $55 million cap charge, Dak Prescott at 49-1, Patrick Mahomes at 46-2, Josh Allen at 39-3, Ryan Tannehill at 36-6. All right. Now, if you look at those teams... Uh, including carryover, the Browns have about four million in cap space. The Cowboys have nine five. The Chiefs have thirteen five. The Bills are four million under, or over the cap. I'm sorry, and the Titans are eight million over. So these are all contracts that they're going to shed probably uh, dollars on. The question is, when do they do it? Um, you know, if Deshaun Watson gets restructured before the Ravens apply the tag to him. The tag drops from 45 to, I think it's 42. So if it drops to 42, now your two-year earnings are going to be 92 million. That's still great. I mean, you know, we're talking massive numbers here, but it's not 100 million. If Prescott drops out, you're going to be around 43. That gets you to 28.6. But the thing is, if both Watson and Prescott drop out, you know, then you're down to 39 on the year. 38.7, I think, would be the exact number. So at 38.7, now your 100 million has dropped down to about 85. Yeah, about 85. And you don't have control of this because it's other teams. Now, both sides kind of have a risk here, right? Because, I don't know, if I'm the Browns, I might say, I want to screw over the Ravens. I, I want this to be as big as possible. I'm going to wait till the last possible minute to restructure Deshaun Watson's deal. But you also might have teams that look at this and go, I don't want another quarterback to get a fully guaranteed contract. I can paint Watson as an outlier. I can paint Kirk Cousins, or I did paint Kirk Cousins as an outlier. I'm going to have a lot harder time, you know, painting my quarterback, or painting Lamar Jackson as an outlier if he's just signing right after his fifth year as a, fran- a regular franchise player, if he's getting a fully guaranteed five or six year deal. So you may have owners in their interest saying, get those numbers down. You know, I-, I want this kid on a tag of like $35 million. You might have agents suggesting it too, because there's agents that are probably not happy that this kid's representing himself. And they're probably not going to be happy if he somehow pulls off getting the fully guaranteed deal when their players are not getting it. So you you have a lot of outside issues at play, and most of the outside issues, I think, work more against him than against the Ravens. But again, it could be for both teams. So if you're on, if you're the Ravens. I think you should be operating under the assumption it'll be 45. If you're Jackson, I'd be operating under the assumption it's going to be 42 or 43. But I'd want to be fully aware that it's going to possibly be 38 or less. And so I, I just hope that that part was, you know, completely explained. Um, you know, as for the other things, you know, as for not getting a deal done, I, I've been saying it since day one. He's very focused on two things. The Ravens are very unique, pretty unique in the way that they do a lot of their big deals. And if you don't have someone to walk you through that process, I think it just becomes very difficult to, to get the two things to, to align to where you can come to an agreement. Now, everyone brings up the injury risk for Lamar Jackson. And there is always going to be some kind of injury risk. But for quarterbacks, we just don't see it. I mean, guys get hurt and nobody cares. Because, you know, it's the level, the the position is so important. And this is why if you ever got really good quarterbacks to free agency, they could just punch their own ticket. Um, The position is so important that teams will always take shots. Look, 
you you had to have Nick Foles get hot for a couple playoff games, and you had the Jaguars paying him twenty something million dollars a year, forty million dollars guaranteed. He's basically a backup quarterback. You know, Brock Osweiler got what eighteen million a year. You know, at, at a time when the the top of the market was probably wasn't even thirty yet. So, you know, teams kind of look past that stuff. And I talked about it. You know, the, the only injuries I can think of, you know, Alex Smith's injury with the leg and all the surgeries and the infections absolutely would have impacted you if you got that kind of injury. Teddy Bridgewater's injury, which basically took years to come back from, yeah, that would absolutely impact you. Peyton Manning, you didn't even know what his neck was going to be. He got like two extensions. I'm sure the Colts knew he was hurt when he went for his first extension. Then they cut him after the one year. And basically sight unseen. The Broncos went in there and they put in a couple of waivers on uh, neck injuries. You know, and it was basically if you couldn't pass the physical like once for the neck. You know, you, you lost your future guarantees. But um, I think it was, I think those were even like, it, it was only for that one time. After that, they, they stayed even if the neck got re-injured. So I, I don't go crazy about the threat of injury, um, you know, for him. I, I'm not worried about it. He hasn't been injury prone. Um, so I'm not worried about that. The the bigger worry, I, I guess, would be is if you became less effective as a player. I don't have the numbers in front of me, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know what I did with my look up on it. And I'm not going to relook it up again. I probably uh, botched something up here. Um, let me just see if I still have it. No. So I'm just going to go off of memory here. No, maybe I do still have it here. Um, so what I did was I looked up, um, every quarterback who signed a contract that was worth at least $10 million a year and three years in length, um, since I, I, at least three three years in length since uh, 2013, I believe it was. And I just wanted to look at the outcomes on these deals. And this gives you an idea as well as to why teams, even though I, I talk about like the, the quarterback position as being a little bit more bulletproof than others, why they're a little hesitant um, on doing some of these deals. So basically you had, uh, of the players, there's only 23 of them whose contracts have completed out. Uh, 43% of those players were extended so that they ended up getting another contract. So you you would consider those players to have earned their entire deals, um, you know, which were pretty big. And, you know, those were a lot of them are the same players. You know, Stafford got a couple in there. Uh, Matt Ryan probably has two, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, 26% of the players took a pay cut at some point. Um you know, and that, that was what happened with their deal. Uh, 4.3% quit where they retired. That was Andrew Luck. It's a one player. And you had uh, 26% of the players had their contracts terminated and they, they were cut from those deals. So, you know, I, I think that that's something that you want to look at because now if we're looking at, um, you know, the, the, the types of contracts you're, you're looking at, the, the, now you're going to start to get maybe a little bit more worried. Now, when you look at the years on these contracts and you look at when players... Oh, and I should have said, I, I should have mentioned before that what I did was I looked at all players who were between the ages of uh, 25 and 31 when they signed their extensions. Um, so this, this way it wasn't older players, um, you know, in the mix uh, that were also part of this. So basically, the if you're a team, and this is why they're not fully guaranteeing these deals, um, basically the, the average years of the extension earned for all players in this group works out to 67% of the years were played out of the potential contract years. And again, I'm counting an extension if the guy's extended early as to having earned that entire contract. So the, the players who were extended... I'll just bring up those names here. It's Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, uh, Matt Stafford, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson again, Matt Ryan, uh, Joe Flacco, Matt Stafford again, and Alex Smith. 
those are your players who were extended, um, you know, off of those big contracts. Those guys all earned anywhere from 17 to 35 million a year. And obviously, you know, it depends on the time frames, but the, they were all considered higher level quarterbacks. Uh, the pay cut players, Jimmy Garoppolo, now he completed 80% of that contract. Um, so, you know, he, he went a pretty long time on it. Nick Foles, uh, he was renegotiated. He only completed one of four years. Teddy Bridgewater, only one of three. Ryan Tannehill was two of four. Colin Kaepernick, just one of six. Tyrod Taylor didn't complete any. He was uh, he was forced into a new deal before his new deal even really technically started. Um, if you look at the players who were cut, uh, a little bit lower quality here. Uh, you've got Joe Flacco on the second run. He only completed a year of that deal. That wasn't even with the Ravens. Cam Newton did four of five before he was cut. So, you know, that's pretty reasonable. Jay Cutler did three of seven. Brock Osweiler, one of four. Andy Dalton did five of six. So that was pretty good. And Mike Glennon did one of three. Mike Glennon is a lower um, quality player uh, as well. So, I mean, that's your look of those, those guys. So when you look at the teams and you can see it in the structures that they built out for like the, the Allen deal and the Mahomes deal, when it does get to the point where you could possibly cut those players, meaning they delay some of those guarantees, it does come on the back end of those deals, which typically would be the only year that a player of that caliber typically is going to be released. Um, I think the issue more when you get into the, the guaranteed dollars and stuff comes on those players who are a little bit more iffy. Um, now, this isn't everybody. I, I'm just lumping everybody into the category that was uh, renegotiated or cut. Um, when, you know, guys like Cam Newton obviously went much longer into those deals. Um, their average for those players is only completing about 43% of the contract years. So that that's a pretty small number. Um, you know, that for a lot of times, you know, that that's a, again, it's not a big pool of players here, but, you know, the, the average time on those is two years. I think. Um, let me just run it. Yeah, two years is the average. Median was, let's see. Median's just one on those players. Now, I'm not saying Lamar Jackson fits into that category, but that's, that's the risk. You know, if he falls into that 60% of the player pool where the players didn't work out, you've got a little bit more risk there. That's also a benefit if you can get a fully guaranteed contract. You know, you're protected from being one of these players. But, um, you know, in general, I think the way that you would look at this is I'm talking about him needing to get through three franchise tags, certainly to get through two. And, you know, if we, we look at our odds on this, you know, we do have a number of players that would not have gotten there. You know, if we have um, 23 guys, I think, in this. So let, let's see how many completed three years. You know, because he'd have to complete three new to get to another contract. So of those 23... You'd have 13 that made it through three years. So about 57% uh, of the players make it and 44% don't. So, I mean, th there is a risk there, um, you know, that you might not be effective. Maybe you will fall into that pool that doesn't get those years. Now, the other thing is that on those three-year deals, or the guys that played the three years, um, those players were probably dropped for a reason. Let me just look that up, who those players were. So Cousins was extended. Uh, Stafford, it was really only Cutler. I would add Cutler in there. Cutler's play after the three years was probably enough to warrant. You, you know, you wouldn't have gotten the uh, the franchise extension, let's put it that way. Um 
on there. So if you had to go three years, you know, I, I would probably maybe actually add one more to that, you know, and, um, you know, that, that would put you down to, let's see. Yeah. 48. So, I mean, it, it's, it's still in your favor, but you know, there, there is going to be a risk for every one of these players. You know, you saw a risk. So you've got, Players who were cut after no years, that was Tyrod Taylor. Um, you had one, two, three, four, five players cut after one, and then the two that were cut after two. So if though or forced into a pay cut, basically you're not looked at as, as a franchise-level quarterback anymore if you fit into that mold of player. So, you know, th there is that risk. So I don't think it's the injury risk. I think it's more the, the risk that you do get to be ineffective. And if you don't have that protection, like a Cam Newton... He lasted as long as he did because of the, the name that he had with him as well as kind of the contract because that, that contract um, made him difficult to cut because of all the stuff they did. I think in general what you'd really be looking to do is guarantee about 80, 70 to 80% of the new money in the contract. I think if you can get that guaranteed, to me that that's more than a fair deal. Um you know, to, to get a deal done. But I think this, this is the risk that you're really looking at if you're him, all right? If you are not one of these upper, upper, upper echelon players, um, there's a chance that you will not make it beyond that second franchise tag to be able to punch your own ticket. I'm not saying he will or won't fall into that category. I'm just saying that that's what the history has been. Um, you know, and if you look at some of those players, you know, the, the players that would be considered more of a, a, at the time, probably a can't miss that were cut. Kaepernick, uh, Cutler was probably considered like a true franchise quarterback. Um, you know, you have a couple of guys who are still active that are not going to make it to the end. You know, Jared Goff is not going to make it to the end. Carson Wentz. Uh, Deshaun Watson was a different category. Um, Kyler Murray is right now. Who knows if he'll make it to the end? You know, so that's the risk that you run. You know, obviously that's a risk that's run by both sides too, you know, if you do commit. But I think given the level of player that he has been, um, you know, and where that is, the fair number is like that 70 to 80%. And really what you're just looking to protect yourself from is, you know, in the event that you are not, um, you know, you, you don't you don't maintain that kind of MVP-ish level of play to where if you do start to falter towards the end the way that Flacco did, the way that Dalton, not that those players were ever at that level, but a Flacco, Dalton, um, Newton, you know, th those players who made it closer to the end of their deals, Garoppolo, stuff like that, that you're protected in that last season. You know, or that, I'm sorry, that second to last season. Just to, just to make sure that, you know, you're, you're somewhat on, on there. Um, but the full protection, I, I don't think the history is there of all these players making it to the end, unless you're just an incredibly bullish team. And the Ravens are smart. So the, the Ravens the Ravens are going to be a team that understands that um, you know players don't make it to the end of the deal. You know there 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 are some teams like the Browns that don't care, uh, and there's probably another couple teams that would get desperate enough not to care if the right player was available in free agency or via trade. But in general, most of the teams are smart enough to know that no matter how good the player is right now, there is a possibility five years from now, he's not going to be on the team. So, you know, that that's all going to be taken into account. And again, you're trying to come up with a fair agreement for both sides. And, um, you know, I, I think that's like where the real middle ground is with doing this type of contract. Now, if Lamar Jackson comes around next year and signs a deal... This is probably a waste for him to play it out. It's just taking on unnecessary risk. The market's not going to go up. Your value's not going to go up. Um, you know, all you're doing is relying on other players like a Joe Burrow to somehow buck the system in the summer and get a fully guaranteed deal. And that would be a stunner coming from Cincinnati. I'd be very surprised if the Chargers did the same with Herbert. So, I mean, you're, you're 
there's not a lot you can even lean on for that if you wait that long. Um, so for the Ravens, I mean, time is kind of on their side, I think, for that stuff. I, I think right now all the precedent is kind of in the Ravens' favor. Uh, I think the time frame is on the Ravens' favor. I think the cash flows on this deal um, are in the Ravens' favor for the next two years. But, um, at three years, including this year. But, you know, again, if you're looking long-term and quarterbacks do play for a long time, those quarterbacks who are successful, the ones that I mentioned there, the Russell Wilsons and the Staffords, those players would have been better off playing out franchise tags instead of running into extensions. Now you can get into time value of money and stuff like that. Um, but in general, those players would have been better off pushing their teams and dealing with whatever the public outcry is over um, not coming to an agreement. Uh, they would have been better off because they would have been able to go into free agency or basically be treated as a free agent when they got to that third franchise tag. Certainly they would have been a free agent the year afterwards and you know the, their overall career earnings would have been through the roof. But it would have taken time and that risk. You know, there, there's that risk that Russell Wilson could have had the same career as Cutler or Kaepernick or something. And uh, not looking to get into the, the other reasons that Kaepernick was not playing football that had nothing to do with his original contract and what the 49ers saw of that contract. 49ers signed him to an extension and it was buyer's remorse within like a year. So, you know, it, it's focused solely on that. San Francisco was focused just on that contract. And that contract was redone, um, you know, really, it, it was going to have to be redone uh, regardless of anything else. Um, it was just had to do with the, the what they they saw as the level of play from the position. So, I mean, very easily could have had that same fate instead of, you know, what's happened with him now. So, you know, I think that all comes into play, but it's going to be real interesting. And you never say never with these deals. Um, you know, you, you see nonsense like, okay, it, it, it's just comedy, uh, you know. See the, this report come out. How serious was Aaron Donald about retirement? He sent his retirement letter. They got it and they were like, oh man, should we send this to the league office? Agent Todd France said, let's hold off a day. Wait a minute. You said you, you might give him 30? You know what? Don't send that letter in. He's going to send you a letter that says how much he wants to play for you for $30 million. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's called negotiating. <laughs> that's what that was. So, um, you know, but, you know, you, you never say never. Uh, the Ravens have done many in-season extensions. So it, it's different because he doesn't have an agent. Um, but maybe, maybe there's a possibility that he could decide on something um, middle of the year. But more likely, this does not really get interesting until... July of next year because July is the franchise tag deadline. And again, it doesn't work in his favor, the other players, because your other extensions are probably going to come in August, which is after the long-term deadline. So, you know, it's really that. But if, if Jackson comes back next year and ends up taking the more or less the same contract that he was offered, um, you know, and delays it a year, takes on unnecessary risk, you know, then this really didn't work out for him. Uh, but otherwise, you know, let's wait and see. I, I have always wanted a player to do this. You know, the only positions I would advise this on are quarterback and left tackle. They're the only players who have a long enough career to where I think you can do this. Other players can't. Like, I, I know you'll you'll always find a sucker to sign a Trumaine Johnson every now and then. But most of the time, the players decline enough to where, you know, they're, they're just not going to be in there um but the quarterbacks you know I, I would love if somebody did it because once you get a couple of guys to to show that they're willing to do this it's going to change what teams offer because not only not only are you playing this franchise tag game with them you're preventing them from using the tag now on your teammates so all these other guys who were sitting there and it's like well you know 
I just got to agree to this extension because they're going to franchise tag me anyway. They can't if they have to franchise tag the quarterback. You're going to be a free agent because they have to tag the quarterback. They're not going to tag you. If the choice is tag a receiver, tag a quarterback, they're going to tag the quarterback. Tag a corner, tag the uh, quarterback, they're going to tag the quarterback. You will be free. So free agency would get to be a lot more fun as well. But for the players, I think this is something that is necessary to have happen. But, you know, I, I, I just, like I said to start off this, I just hope it's not forced on him or, you know, that he's pushed in a direction not because of his own desires, but because somebody else had, um, you know, different goals and they see this as an ends to a me- uh, means to an end. So, anyway, that, that's it on Jackson. And uh, no questions this week since it'll go too late. So, uh, I will be back at some point next weekend. I do not know when. Uh, I know, I mean, I guess it could always be another Monday podcast too, if need be. Um, we'll see. So, anyway, I'll solicit questions during the week. And uh, we'll see if anything else interesting happens this week. Otherwise, let's go Jets, right? Yeah. All right, Nelly, you have anything? Nope, Nelly's ready to go to sleep, too. All right, everybody have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.